A reading from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. A reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, I have recently been rereading Dune because the movie came out. And I was going to try really hard to, um, like, put a giant sandworm somewhere in this sermon. like, But I could not figure out a way to do it. And that's probably for the best. So my apologies. Well, you just fit it in. I did. Yeah. So nothing about childbirth, nothing about worms. So <laughs> if you're waiting for that to happen, it will not. <laughs> what else is there? I know. Like, what else could you preach about on Mother's Day? Uh, <laughs> so today's passage is an interlude uh, in the book of Revelation. It's a section of worship that gives us a picture of what the whole church together will be like it's kind of like a break in the middle of all the action the seals and the horses and all that uh it says that a great multitude from every nation from all tribes and people and languages are all together uh and the word peoples is actually part of the root word for laity and for liturgy uh so it's the people of god and the words of the people of god They're all standing around a throne, worshiping the lamb and saying, as we just read, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might 
be to our God forever and ever. And they're described as having come out of a great ordeal, which, you know, a long time ago I would have thought was the tribulation and the rapture, but I don't think that anymore. Um, and the word ordeal actually means internal pressure. So like it's a form of pressure, but not external pressure, like the internal pressure that we might feel living under an empire, right? And now they're going to be sheltered and fed and protected by the one who's on the throne. So Charles talked last week about three P themes. And I know because I have his notes. (laughs) Uh, Poetry, politics, and pastoring, right? That revelation is about a sense of speaking, a sense of comfort to the people of God in the midst of circumstances. And in our passage this week, we also see another P theme, which is power. And I had to, I looked at Charles' notes several times. I was like, is power not in there? Okay, just checking. Okay, is it not in there? Okay, it's not. Uh, Because I kept, I was afraid I kept missing it. So many P words. Um, We see in our passage a lamb who's immensely powerful, who has triumphed. And there's a callback to the palm branches, like Palm Sunday. And this time, they're actually signs of a new and very powerful king. They're not signs of a very lowly king or a king who's unexpected. They're signs of a king on a throne, right? Jesus goes from being the underdog in the Gospels uh, who triumphs kind of out of the blue or in like a really low-key way, who's sitting on a donkey, um, to being a powerful victor who triumphs in like a really expected way, um, who sits on a throne. But we've talked so much about the subversive nature of the power of Jesus And we've seen so many abuses of power uh, that we might immediately be suspicious of Jesus or God claiming this power, like in a dominant way, right? Being portrayed as being on a throne, we might feel inherently um, distrusting of that. How do you feel when you think about God being powerful or victorious? What does that mean to you? Hello. Um, Yep. It was. So, Jen, here. What did Jen say? I can't remember. He was like, I was too busy. Oh, man. I have to remember. <laughs> Wait, is this muted? No, you can hear me. Okay. <laughs> you did. I knew you did. This is Jen, even though you can't see me. Um. <laughs> hey, now you can see you. <laughs> um, what did I say? I said the, the, yeah, be, yeah, the, the power. And, uh, whatever, what was the question? Uh, yeah. What do you think about when you, like, how do you feel when you think about God being powerful or victorious? Yeah. When I think about God being powerful or victorious, I think of me, uh, like not having a voice being dominated over. Mm -hmm. I think about all the ways that, um, 
humanity mistakes God's power and victory uh, for the same modes of power and victory that we see in by the powers and uh, that that for God to be powerful and victorious is to to like finally kill off and decimate and annihilate and destroy and obliterate that God's God's power and victory is exercised in the same way that Putin's is or mm-hmm. that empires is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And even being tempted to believe that or being formed to believe that myself. Mm-hmm. uh it's interesting because when you said um like it feels contrary to kind of how we've talked about god like my initial reaction like like internal reaction was like well it doesn't actually feel contrary because that's that's kind of the god that that i grew up with of i mean that's that's the god that was taught was a god of victory and power and uh and and that was uh held up as uh the way we should think of God. Yep. So yep. Uh so thinking about God being powerful and victorious just gives me comfort mm. knowing that like it's not up to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the good guys still win in the end, like I'm like we're all good. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. So I don't have to press anything. I just hold it. No, I think, yeah. I believe that that's really more of what it means, what Roger said, but I am envisioning this New Testament or Old Testament God that we grew up with where it was like, I guess that God's sense of victory or need for victory or justice um, was disconnected from his relationship with people, or maybe that there wasn't one, like if you fell on the wrong side of things, like, sorry, if God's justice needed to be, you know, served or solved. Um, just thinking about the story of, you know, the Israelites leaving Egypt and it was like, man, there's a lot of collateral damage there, but it's okay. Cause God needed the victory. And, mm-hmm. you know, even at the expense of firstborn sons and family members wiped away in the, the sea, that's okay. We celebrate that because God's victory was one and God is okay with that collateral. Yeah. It's confusing. Anybody else? Don't hit on all the high points. I mean, you, 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 you've got it. Nail on the head. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I, yeah, I think you can mute now. Okay, so mm, all the answers are right. I mean, not that there's a right and wrong. But today we're going to take a little bit of a dive into some cultural anthropology Yay. Uh, to create new imagination for ourselves about what power can mean and what it might mean for Jesus to wield power. So on Thursday, I had a little bit of an adventure. Um I had planned to go to a store in Frisco to buy some teacher gifts, and I had an appointment beforehand, and the store didn't open until 11, so I was like, well, what will I do? And I ended up at Mardell's, which is the really big Christian bookstore up in Frisco. I was like, this will be interesting. Have, 
Is it? Are they owned by Southern Baptist? Okay, well, there you, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I just walked, went in and I just walked every aisle because I was like, I wonder what they have in these kinds of stores these days. Because um, I used to work in one. Uh, and I wondered if the end times were still a topic that sold a lot of books. And the answer is yes, definitely. They sell a lot of books about the end times. And I have it. There you go. That is part of the prophecy section. You can't see it, but there's a lot of Russia, China, credit, uh, harbinger. There's a bunch of like the signs, right? Yeah. That's right. I mean, and, and all red. It's funny because the women's section is all like pink and purple and this is like all red. I mean, it's clear. Can you tell that it looks like it's on fire? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And his son, Matt Hagee. Handy tips for every phase. Um, (laughs) So I also found an entire section of books dedicated to how awesome Trump is. I did not take a picture of it. I'm so sorry. At Mardell. And it was called general okay it was just called general and there was also another general section next to it and it was it was like classic so it had c.s lewis and fox's book of martyrs and a bunch of other stuff and then just and that was all general and then next to it was general and it was like sean hannity and all the great like literally one of the titles was like all the good things trump has done for us since being president like it was bananas you guys i was like totally in shock what <laughs> no <laughs> i i was i felt really weird though i was like this is i feel uncomfortable um and you know like having worked in these kinds of stores like interests kind of align you know what i mean like if they're selling a bunch of books about prophecy and a bunch of books about how great trump is probably the people who are taking revelation seriously are also like the, the crazy right wing people that we don't want to be associated with right um like maybe people who think that relevant re- revelation is relevant. Yes, I should have not done those two words together. Revelation is relevant to their daily lives. Maybe those are like crazy people. And at checkout, I actually listened to a customer and a cashier have a whole conversation about naming and claiming the finding of a lost book that was out of print. And I mean, that is like 100% not unusual. Um, it's a completely real thing that happens in Christian bookstores. <laughs> we pray. Dear God, please help us find this book somewhere in a warehouse. Um, (laughs) It's very bizarre. So afterwards, I went to where I was planning to go, which was a place called Soultopia. (laughs) It is a holistic boutique that sells incense, crystals, books about crystals, and very pretty bracelets that I use as an adult fidget (laughs) that I gave to teachers. Uh, there are supposed spiritual powers. I think this one ha- might have something to do with money. This one's chakra balancing. But anyway, I don't believe in any of that. Okay. Uh, while I was there shopping for my spiritual bracelets, I listened to the cashier have this really serious conversation with someone who called in to ask what a rainbow crystal meant for the future. And the cashier was just like, well, I don't think it means anything unless you want it to mean something. If it means something to you, then that's okay. 
And I was like, okay, cool. And after I paid the cashier actually like held my stuff up over a singing bowl and made it like sing. And we just had to like wait for the singing to stop, which is apparently about cleansing negative energy, you know? Uh, obviously I don't like really believe that a singing bowl can cleanse negative energy. But I also don't believe that naming and claiming can help you find an out of print book. And my morning felt like two sides of a really weird coin, right? Like people like trying to tap into some unseen power and it just being really odd. Uh, and the thing is, is that in our minds, a lot of revelation only makes sense to people who are a little weird because obsessing over exactly what revelation is trying to tell us is basically the same as in our minds sometimes as obsessing about what a rainbow and a crystal might mean for the future, right? Like you're just obsessing over something that you can't know the answer to. So why try? Um, my thingy is stopped. Now, you know, I don't think my thing wants to listen to me today. Mm -hmm. Y'all are talking too much. Sorry. You're not talking too much. It's okay. If I knew what the next part was, I'd go to it. But. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> There's a sandworm in my thing. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Maybe I didn't pray over this enough to exercise the demons, right? Maybe I should have put it over a singing bowl. The wrong bracelets. Dang it. Okay. Do you guys remember when we talked about the excluded middle though? This was a little while ago that there are, that's the next slide, that there are tears to life and that we as American Christians often focus only on the empirical tier, the bottom one, the things that we can see and experience directly we talked about how many times there are questions that can't be answered by what we can see and by what we can directly experience right questions of the middle tier that that place where the unseen merges with the scene right and there are questions about how we control or influence our personal future what's going to happen to our kids when they grow up uh what's going to happen to us in the middle of covid um, those kinds of things. Those are questions of the middle. Like how does, how does what we see intersect with God's purposes and what God is doing in the unseen? So the Western worldview largely ignores that middle tier. We like those three blue ones. Um, but a lot of other cultures do not ignore that middle tier. And to dig a little bit deeper into that, I want to talk about something called the three colors of worldview, and that's three lenses that affect how we look at the world. You can go to the next one, Ryan. Okay, so the three lenses are, oh, this is very small, you can't see. Maybe you can't. Okay, guilt and innocence, and then fear and power and honor and shame. Um, in the guilt and innocence, um, there's, there's, okay, there's always a dominant lens, but all cultures are a mix of the three lenses. Okay. So in American culture, our dominant lens is usually a lens of guilt and innocence. Um, it's individualistic and it's focused more on rules. The main metaphor is like a court. So who's right and who's wrong. And we all kind of know what the gospel looks like in this context, because it's probably the gospel that we believed and that we were, you know, saved through initially, um, it's forgiveness of guilt, restoration to innocence. Um, 
Muslim cultures operate more on an honor shame basis, which we could talk about more another time. Um, there's a lot of really interesting stuff there, but the main thing to think about is it's more collective than individualistic and it's more focused on maintaining relationship uh, than it is about being right about the rules. So um, a lie, if a lie is told for the purpose of maintaining relationship, then it's not bad, right? Like if, whereas in our kind of guilt versus innocence thing, any lie would be bad because we've broken a rule, right? Um, the gospel in context of honor versus shame looks like being restored to community. Uh, the prodigal son is a really good story that illustrates what that gospel would look like uh, because he doesn't come back and then is like restored to innocence. He comes back and is restored to community. Like that's where the rift is. And then that's where the restoration happens. So fear and power is the other lens. And the primary question is not about have I broken any rules um, or am I guilty, but am I protected? Uh, and the main metaphor for like the existential struggle that we all have in that, um, in that lens is combat. Uh, the gospel looks like having a powerful ally on your side who protects you and defeats the powers who would destroy you. So the fear power worldview actually does focus on that excluded middle tier, the part that makes us really uncomfortable, right? Um, when Jesus drives out demons, then he's like interacting with the middle tier and he's showing that he is a powerful protector in that like realm. Uh, when the demons like know his name and he's like, be quiet. That's him being a, like a powerful protector. Um, if someone was reading the Gospels and they had a fear and power worldview, they would be really drawn to the stories about um, demons. They'd also be really drawn to Revelation because that's where we see Jesus in his clearest as like a very powerful protector. Um, so we, we focus a lot on guilt versus innocence. Um, but there's a lot of honor and shame in American culture, too. There's a lot of fear versus power. Uh, we feel that mostly in terms of, like we, we would call it anxiety, like this internal pressure, because there are things where we know that it doesn't matter if we are guilty or innocent. We like, if we do all the right things as a parent, maybe our kids will turn out okay, but maybe they won't, right? It's partly about guilt and innocence, but then we also can kind of recognize at a deeper level that there's like a power at work. You know, we know that it doesn't go all the way down. Um, we can try to like logic ourselves out of it. We can try to think that we've done all the right things, but the fear of that like unseenness um, remains and our desire for a protector is still very real. Uh, one way that this fits in with like deconstruction is that some one way that they do it, somebody does it like a triangle and they're like, fear is at the bottom and then honor and shame is here and then guilt and innocence is at the top. And they're like, if you're a primitive society, you, you start out with fear versus power. Like you're afraid of everything, right? Like everything's got like a demon in it. Everything is out to get you. But then you learn a little more and you realize not everything is a demon, 
but you also focus on relationships. So like you're maturing as a society. And then eventually you get up to the point where they call it, they say that guilt versus innocence is at the top. And they're like, at that point, you realize there's nothing to be afraid of and you don't owe anything to anyone because you're an individual. And so this is like America at the top of the triangle. Uh, An American made that. Uh, an American made that. Um, it actually does look a lot more like this, I think. Um, when we, we kind of moved in some ways, like, we realized that it's not necessarily about guilt versus innocence. And we started focusing on this because of slavery. I think, I think maybe Miles is unmuted. Sorry, that was me trying to manage a five-year-old. Oh, hey, there I am. Um, we started focusing on this in this more individualistic thing because of slavery, because we wanted to ignore our sins as a society, so it had to all start being about just our individual personal stuff. Okay? Um, but what that means is that as we deconstruct and as we find our place in like our broader community, and as we realize that it's not just about whether we are guilty or innocent, we actually start moving more towards this honor and shame. Okay. Um, we start moving more to where we want, we value restoration of relationship more than we value being right. Does that resonate with you? Like that you can feel that. Yeah. And then what happens is, we also will realize that there are some powers at work that are beyond our ability to fix or to solve, right? Um, and so I don't necessarily know that there's one right way to look at things. Um, I think that in like a more Jesus-y worldview, we would realize that Jesus is not judging us and thinking we're guilty. He always thinks we're innocent, you know, like he, that's how he sees us we would like see the honor in the gospel and not feel the corresponding shame of I've done something wrong. I've done something bad. And we would realize that Jesus has triumphed over fear. Right. Um, a lot of times we tend to present the gospel, like you can either be on this side or this side, but I think really the gospel is probably all three of the good stuffs and none of the bad stuffs. Um, we see all this in Revelation, right? Uh, we see fear and power. We see Jesus being triumphant. Um, and when we're open to seeing where fear and power dynamics are at play in our own lives, where we have this anxiety, we can gain even more comfort from Revelation. Because part of the reason that it's all poetic is because it stirs us to think about, like, Jesus' victory and power. Like, it doesn't just present it as... And then Jesus won. Like, it's stirring us to remember that we serve, like, a big God, a triumphant God, right? Um, and it's one of the clearest pictures we have of the intersection of the seen and unseen worlds. Um, do you see, can we go back to our passage, Revelation? Do you see the three lenses in our passage today? Do you see any of the three lenses in your lives? What thoughts are bubbling up?
this might be way off base, um, but thinking of the Supreme Court leak and the uh, likelihood of um, Roe v. Wade getting turned over, like that. Um, that to me is one of the clearest contemporary examples where all three of those worlds are combined. Yep. Where you have what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have, I'm going to, this is the right thing. And so even if fragments relationships, uh, you have the cosmic uh, battle that folks identify with that. Mm-hmm. Um just seeing all of that stuff, the honor and shame, uh, guilt and innocence, fear and power. Uh, I don't know if I could think of another contemporary issue conversation mm-hmm. that has more clearly all three of those world yep. worldviews lenses yep. combined and the way in which when people talk about it, uh, particularly in the public sphere, uh, how willing we are to exchange whatever lens benefits us yep. in talking about it. Like, I don't, I'm trying to think of another thing where we will change lenses so fast to help ourselves make the case we want to make, yep. um, regardless of the side that we're on. Uh, sorry if that's, that's a no, that's little a, rabbit, but that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's like if we, Yeah, like we can be uncomfortable seeing Jesus in a position of power, but it's like, if we don't, like, like we still can see the lenses. We can see all the lenses, you know, like we can see how there's like bad powers at play. And it's like, Revelation gives us a picture of how ultimately Jesus triumphs over those things and protects us. But I mean, without dominating us, like, because power does seem to dominate. Or that's like what we what we've experienced. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. We do tend to look at it in terms of just our lens yeah. or just the lens that's convenient. Mm-hmm. So I see all three of these at work in the twelve step recovery community. Uh been at it for decades. And there's people that uh when their wife when their life is wobbly, whether it's their marriage or their job or their uh, parenting or whatever, they'll turn to uh, more than a little bit of alcohol or drugs or eating disorder or uh, pornography. They turn that as an escape and then they feel horrible and guilty that they did that. And then they'll even stay in the pit feeling horrible about their slip. And some of the guys that I sponsor, I say, you gotta let go. The milk is spilt, Bubba. We, we, we gotta move forward, uh, and, and not feel bad, bad, horrible, horrible forever and ever that something happened three days ago. And, and the only way that I have personally or seen people that sponsor get out of that is by, uh, prayer and, and letting go and turning to God. And step three says, Made a decision about well, like where the care of God's understood God. So there's a spiritual dynamic that has to be enacted. Step 11 says through prayer and meditation, improve our conscious contact with God, uh, asking the knowledge and will and power to carry it out. So half of my time with sponsoring people is helping them 
to go to, to, to go to, to, to take it to God and to pray. There's a spiritual dimension in their addiction. A uh, couple of fellows, when their work is out of order, they'll go and eat a bag of cookies because they just want a sugar high. They're not going to go to, they're not going to go to drugs. They're not going to go to cocaine. They're not going to get drunk, but they're just going to get a bag of cookies. And I went, okay, well, now you got off, now you got off that roller coaster. Let's take all that to God. Okay. So it takes all three. I wonder if honor and shame is at play in cancel culture, like the the idea of kind of shutting somebody down or locking somebody out if they, and that's a shaming mechanism, right? Uh, and that is like for as individual, as individualistic as we are, um, you know, you almost expect that to happen more in a Korean context or uh you know a more honor and shame culture but that that's a very honor and shame kind of thing yeah. uh anyway that's just one thought yep yeah it's like all three lenses are present we get out of kilter when we like start to think about one as being the dominant lens like if you say, if you got fear, if guilt and innocence is your dominant lens, and then you, you also say, well, fear and power exists. What that looks like is anyone who's powerful is righteous. Anyone who's not powerful is guilty. Like if you start mixing them and relying too heavily on one of them, they get like, they start to twist each other. Does that make sense? Um which is I think why it's important to recognize that all three are at play because if you just think about one of them or you just think about like your way of looking at it, it's like a it's something called a reality tunnel. Like you just don't see and you just sort of get lost. hello hello yeah there you are um i think it's such an interesting conversation um about worldviews and i think like that idea of i you know just think about um for so long in the in like anthropology and that sort of that world it was well this is the right way (laughs) and all of those other people have just not gotten up to where we are Mm -hmm. um uh, but recognizing that uh how culture plays into how people see the world and yeah. and um the same things can happen to them as a community and they will all react differently. And I think that's one of those, you know, there's gonna be like theses written around 
COVID and the way that each culture reacted to COVID because it's mm. so rare in our world that we get to have one event and see how everybody reacts to it because mm-hmm. it's so very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love kind of your idea thinking about this passage and how uh, we're able to see uh, how God is able to counteract each of those things. Mm. Um, how God is, uh, um, is, is um, presenting God's self as somebody who is able to counteract those things of fear and shame and guilt. Yeah. Um, yeah. God's not just the, the lamb that makes us innocent. He's like mm-hmm. all of the good, you know? Yeah. 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 Like we can see it. Through Lion all and the lamb. Things. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were we about to go on? Oh, I just, I'm thinking about all of those things in the triangle and how difficult it is to um, sit with a group of people and see those as not subjective to like how those words even hold the same meaning for different people and cultures. Um, you know, that two, two sides that, you know, I, I observe a lot, especially in our neighborhood right now, where it's a very contentious board of trustees school board race. And I've seen flyers from opposing candidates and it's literally the same wording on different sides of the issue. Yeah. And they, there's total inability to see one side thinks Oh, you know, they're fear-based. We've got to bring this back in. And the other side is literally using the same verb, verbiage, like they're fear-based. We've got to bring this back, you know, just the same things and how difficult that will ever be for them to meet in the middle because they both perceive those, those sort of triangle corners as, well, they don't perceive them as subjective, but, yeah. um, they, they are in some sense. And I don't want them to be. And I, I don't know, I'm reading through this over and over and thinking like, how does, does God see those words like guilt and innocence and fear and shame as subjective? I, I don't know. Like it just sort of is a real mind yep. twist for me. Yeah. Yep. No, yeah, I think that's, I think you're totally right. I think that's exactly the point is that like I've, I was looking at some research that was talking about how people read this passage and um, how people responded to COVID. And it's like all the Americans are like, repent, because it's about guilt. And I, I just, I'm like, like you can see all those dimensions, but those dimensions describe culture. They don't describe God. And God is like, God is like way bigger than all of that. <laughs> um and there's like that's daunting and it's also freeing <laughs> to know that god is bigger than those words and labels that's you're exactly right though 